the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Justin. Hey, Lindsay. So, uh, we're doing Batman 1989. I think it was this was a good transition out of our sequel episode where mm-hmm. we, because there's been so many sequels and I guess like reincarnations of Batman, um, but this being the first, not necessarily the first, but the first official big budget movie um, yeah. that I think most your casual Batman fan would recognize as being the first. Definitely. And I I consider myself a a casual Batman fan. (laughs) It changed the tone from the show from the 60s with Adam West that was, you know, not at all um, what this Batman turned into at all. And uh, this is our second Tim Burton movie that we've done Mm -hmm. for the podcast. It was 20 episodes ago, so it's it's fine. but uh, and that, there's been times where I've like wanted to do another Tim Burton yeah. movie, and I was like, oh, we we need to wait. Um, so I feel like enough time has passed. Yeah. So it's time. Another Tim Burton film. And we feel that this Batman is important for a lot of reasons, um, and we'll go further into this. But um, you know, as far as the su- idea of a superhero movie and uh, marketing, and also. Um, just kind of uh, reinvigorating this franchise that before that um, didn't really, the idea of a superhero movie wasn't really the thing that it is. Yeah, it was, it was now, not, it nowadays. Was, it was not common like it is now. Yeah. Now it's, it happened, they'll, they'll, but they'll take the most obscure yeah. comic and make it, you know, You're they'll, like, they'll build a movie around it. That but, was a superhero? What? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. And we actually, uh, I was excited, like, cause we, we were doing Batman and we like Batman. Now we both have talked about this. Like we did not grow up reading comic books. So True. my entry into this Batman film when I was a kid was not really having an association to the comics. So like anything that this movie did that was outside of the grain of how the character or characters were represented in the comic books, uh, didn't affect me because I didn't have that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, But I did not want that to be something that was left out of this episode. So I contacted our good buddy, Wade Durbin, <laughs> who in my mind is about as close as you can get to a, 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 a comic book knowledgeable person. And, oh, yes. uh, and I asked him, I sent him a message asking him if he could tell me what he thinks the general consensus is for comic book people on batman 1989 now like what's the what's the feeling and so he sent me a pretty interesting long message so <laughs> we'll uh, we'll get get into that later when we're discussing um sort of batman and this being a tim burton film and being part of the the character in the franchise and maybe you have a lot of opinions on it maybe you're a comic book fan i i like that we're talking about this movie as as two people that are aware of comic book characters we're just we just didn't grow up on them and I, that's not I, I think the the comic books that I've read have you know are a handful of like Ghost World and Preacher and like Mouse Guard and the X-Files comics but like I don't think that that counts as uh, being a comic book fan at all I read them for a purpose when I think too like this is something that I, I definitely respect people's opinion when they you know it's if you grew up on something and it's turned into something else, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I look at this as I look at the way people have strong feelings about Batman 1989 or the same way I have strong feelings about the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> or yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street. You know, I mean, movies that are near and dear to my heart yeah. that I grew up on and I know them a certain way and they're represented a certain way. Yeah. And for someone to come in and dismantle that and then me to like pay money to go see it, I was like, what? You know, so. Uh, <coughs> I can understand people's disappointment or their yeah. animosity toward um, this particular incarnation of Batman. But me having not, and that's the thing, is like someone who's never seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, someone who's never seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, mm-hmm. um, 
they might go into a new version or a new remake or reboot and say this movie is awesome because they have no frame of reference and that's how i yeah. feel i'm just living in ignorant bliss about batman 1989 <laughs> and i'll just remain that way until i die i think that's exactly how i feel too i i like that you and i uh agree on batman 89 I do think that it's a conversation, though, and that's why I'm glad yeah. we're doing this one. Well, and I think, yeah, and and, that, and that's the thing is too is like I didn't want to speculate or like look research like what people are thinking. That's why I wanted to ask Wade and see what you know because I knew he would be tapped into that idealism of like what's happening. And in he the has comic. opinions. That's he for has sure. he has opinions. So and and he they're very strong in the <laughs> message that he sent me. So I'll I'll read that later. That'll be that'll be a good one. But uh, outside of that, you know, mm-hmm. just in general, talking about some of the things that make this a Batman movie that we like and a superhero movie that we like. And then also talking about the cast, because a lot of uh, controversial and interesting casting happened in this movie. Maybe we'll get into a little insider Hollywood, um, some of the the situations that went down behind the scenes. Yeah. That's always fun. It wasn't to talk the about. easiest movie to get made. It wasn't made. the easiest one to get made and uh yeah, a lot of a lot of moving a lot of moving parts and all on the shoulder shoulders of a very successful but extremely young director. Mm-hmm. I think Tim Burton was like twenty nine when he shot Batman. Is that right? Which is pretty crazy. <laughs> and he was not the first choice and people weren't stoked yeah. about it. We'll talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And uh then after our discussion as always we'll do our picks of the week. Um, I kept mine a very comic book centric um, with the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that came out in 1990. It was just like maybe a year after Batman. And I feel like um, Batman sort of paved the way for a movie like that to even be possible to make like a big screen version of, of that comic book and cartoon. I'm so glad you did that one. I haven't thought about it in a, a long time. I hadn't either. And it's... I, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's still it's again it's not one that I'd want to do a whole podcast on, but it, there's still there's yeah. still stuff to 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 watch. It's it's still worth looking at. Um, and you did I I did a movie that um, is connected to Batman by way of Jack Nicholson, and it's one that I would say is not at the top of the list as far as uh, movies that he's done in his entire career. But it was this movie from the '90s called Wolf with he and Michelle Pfeiffer and James Spader. It's a movie that people are never like, oh man, have you seen Wolf? Um, But I think it is. You're the only person that ever said that to me. (laughs) Um, It's it's one of those movies that just kind of escapes. It is made. There's nothing really that's that's bad about it. It's a good story, but um, it just kind of is there has like amazing actors in it and just kind of like fades away. And I'm glad I get to reintroduce it, I guess. I certainly remember it coming out, but I think it was like, it came out during a time where I, I don't know, maybe it didn't appeal to my sensibilities. And then I just, it wasn't, it's not one that's ever referenced. I've never heard. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you picked this one. I think it's good to, I think there's like, there's, there's a whole era of like the mid nineties that had a lot of thrillers. And I think I saw, all of them because it was such a popular genre of like any varying type of of thriller whether it's like you know copycat with serial killers or the net there's just um as a big fan of the thriller genre anyway we'll talk about our picks of the week a little bit later so um before and yeah and after our picks of the week as always our murray moment but before that um, can you tell us what is this version of Batman about? Tim Burton's 1989 Batman. Batman. What you revolves m- around this you version heard. of Batman? You might have heard of this guy, Batman. Um, so we're introduced to Gotham City's masked crime-fighting hero in a human-sized, muscular, kind of hot bat suit. Um, he's the city's most wealthy, eligible bachelor, Bruce Wayne, who also happens to be Batman. And due to an accident with toxic waste, um, Batman turns one of the city's most well-known thug gangster type um, types into a psychotic homicidal nemesis uh, that we come to know as the Joker, and the story unfolds from there. It's pretty uh, pretty thrilling stuff. It is. I'm, I'm a huge fan. Well, we'll get into it, but I'm a huge fan of the, the portrayal of the Joker in this movie. Oh, for sure. 
We'll go to a clip uh, from Batman and then we'll get into our first discussion. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me. Don't kill me, man. I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. So right away, again, just saying we didn't come from comics. So to me, this was like my first, I mean, I knew who Superman was. I knew Batman was. I mean, I knew that comics existed. I'm not saying I did. I never, I'm not saying I never picked up a comic book in my life. You know, I mean, I certainly did, but like I wasn't, um, I couldn't tell you who were any side characters or whatever from anything, but Batman was like my first jump into like a world of like comic book quote unquote movies, you know what I mean? And, and it does like, when I look back at this movie now and I will say that there's been a good, it was, it was, I would say it was a good 10 years since I've Mm -hmm. seen this movie when I watched it prior to doing this episode and it does feel smaller. I won't lie. It does feel a bit dated, but the one thing that does feel very signature is that of Tim Burton and his style and his look and especially like his early um, films. And to me, it's kind of, I mean, that's what I love most about it. I think is the way it looks and is the feel of the movie. It has a solid good versus evil classic Hollywood theme going on that is like up front and center. The movie definitely is thin on plot and it's definitely thin on what makes these characters tick um, yes. everything is like very black and white. It's just like, this is why this guy's mad because of this. And this guy's evil because of this. There's never, you know, we don't get too much backstory, but to me, there's enough going on in the movie where like, that doesn't really bother me. I look at it as like this very late eighties, like action adventure, like big budget. And I, and I remember the excitement. This is one of the few movies I remember. Like I went to the theater three, t- I mean, I, had my you saw it three times yeah I saw this three Whoa. times in the theater <laughs> this was one where I think like an entire summer that the, the first summer this came out on VHS I watched it like almost every day at least once during the afternoon yeah I think Batman it was one that I definitely remember seeing in the theater a character that I was familiar with because of I I watched the the reruns of the show like after school when I was a kid and then when, you know, this movie started getting, you know, the trailers were were coming out and the hype was built up around it. I, I already, even though I was a kid, I knew who these actors were and it was like an epic event and everything about this movie was an epic event. And, um, I remember being so jazzed about it. And even though it is thin on plot, I think it's, it's an action movie that um doesn't really it doesn't need a deep plot necessarily because if you have something that is basically good versus evil and we have the setup that this is the avenging crime fighter we already know that he's 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 set up to defend those people that are that are victims he's set up to defend the common man and i think if anything this movie really rides more on the fun factor of it and that Tim Burton makes this movie that that is incredibly dark or the idea of Batman is pretty dark. His style um, makes this movie, it really encompasses what I, what I feel like is a very comic booky colorful aspect to it, but also makes it fun um, by having the introduction of the Joker, who's a complete psychotic, but still, um, I'm I'm always really entertained by a crazy person that's laughing through, you know, them yeah. electrocuting someone by shaking their hand, and they have a what, what are those things called, like the little buzzer in your hand, where right. you, yeah, but you know, the Joker's electrocuting someone and frying them to death when laughing at the same time, like that's, it's 
this hilarious psychoticness of Jack Nicholson's Joker character that injects this humor into something that is totally serious. And um, the idea of Batman really is, um, it, it's something that couldn't happen in reality, let's face it. I think the way that this Batman is presented takes it and makes it kind of feel like it's real. And the idea of Gotham City, that this this city doesn't exist and it feels very otherworldly. I think that all of that wrapped in a bubble is kind of the perfect vehicle for for Tim Burton to yeah. to make this happen. Well, and I think too, like just Gotham City in itself, there's more a plot about Gotham City yeah. itself than there are about yeah. the characters, which I think is, I mean, to me, yeah. like when I was younger, a lot of that stuff was lost on me, but like watching it now, like there is a lot about like a city that's like feeling hopeless and it's like crime ridden and yeah. it's like, do we even have the money or the funds or like the, uh, the excitement or the want to have a celebration of like the 200th anniversary of our city, you know? And yeah. I, I think that a lot of the, I think a lot of Blade Runners were running around Gotham yeah, city. A lot of the political stuff like was definitely not something that I, that I think I was like real aware of when I was younger. And now that plays more interesting to me, but I think it gives it, a, it gives it enough edge. It gives it enough intelligence, yeah. you know what I mean? Because the rest is, it is like kind of like a dumbed down action movie, but I really enjoy it, and I do like like what you said with the Joker, like this sort of he's very psychotic, but he is like the antihero, and you're you're, you're you always you're always, like, you're always like half rooting for him just yeah. because he's not he he is so outrageous, but he is very likable in a way. And I think the Jack Nicholson Joker is the closest that we've ever gotten to the Cesar Romero Joker of the the. Um, Batman show in the eight or um, in the eighties in the sixties, but I think that Jack Nicholson and it's probably because you know one was on TV in the sixties and the other is a Hollywood movie. Um, Jack Nicholson takes it to a, a much darker um, level, but it's the same same kind of feel, just um, a little bit more psychotic. There was an intention, I think, to make. Batman much darker than the 60s interpretation mm-hmm. of the television show but then I think that like as we went on it got much darker and and yeah. deeper into you know the characters which is good you know but I still to me this will always be I mean and I, I've seen most of the Batman movies I haven't seen the newer one with Ben Affleck but like to me, this is always going to be Batman to me. And when I think of Batman, this is always going to be the movie that will be like close to my heart. I, I did not want to not think about the comic book community in regards to um, Batman. and But I did want to... I didn't know how that we could address it. You know what I mean? Because we can't watch this movie the way... And be as people, well-versed right. in the history. So yeah. we contacted our good friend Wade Durbin, who we've both, uh, has been, we've, has been our bandmate. Yeah. And we can, we can and, vouch uh, for this guy. Yeah. He's solid. He's, he's solid. And his comic book knowledge and his movie knowledge is vast, is very vast and deep. And so I messaged him and I said, Hey, you know, here's what we're doing on the podcast. We're doing Batman. And I knew that he would have strong feelings about it. And so I said, <laughs> I already hey, know his facial reaction. I, I said, Hey, can you, can you speak up on, what what people who are comic book fans like people like you that grew up on comics who like know the comics who know the character um what is what is the consensus what what is the consensus of that community on batman 1989 and uh he had a lot to say so i will uh if if we have a moment here i'll read his uh message that he sent me yeah and i just feel like i couldn't have said you know i mean i, I feel like i couldn't have read some stuff about it and sort or sort of like hearsay you know like I don't think I could have like come up with this so I think just going right to the source I think because you you need it from someone that has that has those feelings legitimately and you can't just read something and regurgitate this is this is what this community feels like you need someone that actually um feels it and can can kind of siphon all of that into into one opinion i you know i i think in a lot of ways that this batman uh, 1989 batman is a standalone film 
And I think that along, I, I would kind of put it again with like, I would kind of put it with Batman Returns, its sequel, um, as a as a unit, as a cohesive, like, standalone, like, one, two. Yeah. But I can see where someone would have a problem with it if you are a comic book fan. But if you look at it as a standalone, you know, franchise as just this one, two, Batman and Batman Returns, I don't know. I love them. I'm really anxious to hear what Wade has to say. So here's what Wade wrote me back. He says, I think the reception of Batman 1989 from comic book fans is very complicated. Considering that Superman 4 came out only two summers prior, I think there was a great sense of relief that it was a big-budget film using A-list talent. The darker tone was embraced by the masses, and the massive box office take possibly made some diehard comic book fans feel validated in their hobby. Pre-1989, a grown adult in a superhero shirt out in public was almost unthinkable. He then goes on to say, however, I feel like there was a slow building backlash similar in the way that Phantom Menace went from holy crap, new Star Wars movie to worst movie ever made in the span of about a year. Things moved uh, much slower back then, though. He said, first of all, the willy nilly changes Burton made to the mythos rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. The all black outfit, which at that point the character had never worn, Batman's lax attitude toward murder the Joker's involvement in Bruce Wayne's parents' death, and the two Prince songs played in their entirety. Mainly, Batman 1989 says a lot more about Tim Burton than it says about Batman. It's a freaky-looking character wearing all black, just kind of doing stuff from scene to scene. No narrative thrusts, no goals, no logical endpoint. A nearly plotless showcase for beautiful art direction. Honestly, to date, there has never been a satisfying live-action depiction of Batman. So there you have it, like it or not, a very thought-out, version of what someone who comes from comics um feels and and you know i i i I can understand everything um that he's saying there in that message um and to me you know again this is something that um i never even had a second thought about you know i mean like the color of batman's costume or any of that kind of stuff never Mm -hmm. really came into play because i did not have any knowledge of that prior to this to me, it makes sense why the why the costume would be amended and be bulked up. And also when you have a movie that's supposed to be bigger, you know, larger than life type of thing um, come out the way that it did. But yeah, I can you, understand what Wade's saying in that just so many changes, there yeah. being a slow burn of a backlash. And I, and I think, too, like in exactly what you're saying is like, I think like when this came out, the idea, you know, you want to make this big larger than life outfit you want to have some batmobile that no one's ever seen i mean yeah. you want you want this guy to have these things that like no one yeah. it's like they're all one of a kind instruments that he has at his fingertips cuz he's like a billionaire and he can like yeah. he's the only one that can afford to have all this and granted again none of this is explained how did he get all this no. stuff <laughs> who creates all these things i mean they go into that in the other batman movies what does but, he do? but just yeah. yeah i mean you know it's just kind of like all there it's just like you and yeah. but i and you know and it all happens very fast you know and you just you just kind of accept it you're like and you're happy with it or or you know you question you're like and, oh, that was and again on. thin on plot totally thin on plot but in in the world that is set forth for us um there there is a plot it's not like it's just like out there just batman's running around town there is totally a plot but it's not exactly like the deepest thing in the world do we necessarily you know give a crap where bruce wayne got his money no that's not our first thought at all um, do we even really care about the romance between he and Vicky Vale, the Kim Basinger character? Not really. It's just kind of yeah, happening. Yeah, to me, it's more of a when ba- I'm more interested in Batman in this movie. Yes, exactly. Though I do, I do enjoy Michael Keaton's portrayal of, of Bruce Wayne. Um, yeah, to me, this is all about when he's Batman. That's when I'm like the most excited. I think it's time that we um, maybe go to another clip and then uh, talk about the cast a little bit. Yeah, we'll bit. talk about. Yeah, we'll talk about. Uh, Let's talk the about Batman Michael Keaton. Know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll go to a clip with Michael Keaton as Batman, then we'll talk about Michael Keaton as Batman. <laughs> How many times can we say Batman? Wow. <laughs> Let me tell you about this guy I know, Jack. Mean kid, bad seed, hurt people. I like him already. <laughs> yeah, you know, the problem was he got sloppy, you know? 
crazy. He started to lose it. He had a head full of bad wiring, I guess. Couldn't keep it straight up here. He was the kind of guy who couldn't hear the train till it was two feet from him. You know what happened to this guy, Jack? Mistakes. And then he had us. This light shot. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> so Michael Keaton as Batman. Bruce Wayne and Batman. Mm-hmm. So this was the one thing I do remember of when this movie came out. There was serious controversy about Michael Keaton portraying the role as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Yeah. And so I lo- I remember that, but I looked into it further when we were searching for the podcast. Okay. And 50,000 letters yeah. were sent to Warner <laughs> Brothers Studios, you know, basically saying like, do not cast Michael Keaton as Batman. This is terrible. He's going to be like the worst Batman ever. Um, and I want to say when the movie came out, like a lot of those people maybe were felt okay about Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, yeah. But it, there was much controversy, I think. Initially. Because, initially, because, and, and understandably so, I mean, Michael Keaton had really just been known as a comedic actor. Um, he was really great and clean and sober, but that was a movie that few people had seen, seen and it came out like right before Batman. Yeah. Um, and so people, no one really knew what he could do. People knew him as Beetlejuice. He was right, Beetlejuice, yeah. which is, uh, I, I I think Michael Keaton is a, is a great actor. Um, but when you're going from basically Beetlejuice to Batman and you're like, Mr. Mom is going to be Batman. Right. Dude? Yeah. What? So, so, I mean, I, I can understand, I certainly can understand well, actors get pigeonholed all the time yeah. and when they try to break out of that they have to be tested yeah. um i think uh, another good example jim carrey stepping out of comedy and doing like truman show or man on the moon man on the moon yeah um, where i thought he was fantastic in those movies yeah. but Eternal the first Sunshine, time dude. but the first time uh you know i was like what jim carrey's doing a serious movie so I, I can see that, but I do think that, um, to me, Michael Keaton is the definitive Batman. I have seen all the Christian Bale movies, and I have I saw the Batman. I've seen ba- Batman, Batman Forever, Forever and Batman, Batman and Robin. And Robin and yeah. Both of those Batmans, Val Kilmer and George Clooney, are pretty lame to me. I think Christian Bale's okay, but to me, Michael Keaton is the definitive Batman, Bruce Wayne, in my mind. And I think he, you know, and I think that what he adds to me, and I, I know that that's probably not indicative to the comic books, but I, I kind of like the, the little goofiness, flirtation that he adds to the Bruce Wayne character in, uh, the first Batman, you know, when he's like talking to Vicky Vale and when he's talking to uh, Knox's character, the reporter, I like <laughs> that he has like a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of goof to him. And I mean, you know, and he's definitely Michael Keaton's playing to his strength there. Um, but I think that when he switches over and he has to be like a serious brooding character, I mean, I think he doesn't have any problem in that area as well. Yeah. I think he flips it really well. One of in 89 Batman, I think I almost care about Bruce Wayne more than I do Batman. I I find him very charming and he's, and I mean, he is just like a rich white dude, but, and I, I don't really remember this aspect in any of the other sequels or incarnations in, in this Batman, it almost feels like he's, he's so wealthy, but he's also very generous at the same time, but to the point that he doesn't even really think about it. He's just like, um, um, like in the scene you were just talking about with Vicki Vale and yeah. uh, Robert Wool's character, the reporter, um, he's like, is there anything you guys need? And Robert Wool's like a grant, like jokingly. And then, you know, whatever joke or, you know, conversation goes on and on for a couple minutes. And then as Bruce Wayne is exiting, he's like, telling his butler i need you to get get uh, glasses of champagne this and this and this and get this guy a grant 
Yeah. And it's just one of these things that it's he's he is a totally rich white dude. Right. Someone that maybe I I wouldn't necessarily feel feel any type of sympathy or whatever for. Right. I know your hatred for rich white dudes. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to I say, know. though. <laughs> if Just only saying... more rich white dudes could be like Michael Keaton and Batman, <laughs> yeah, that's what you're totally. trying to say. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with you. He he seems, for a rich white dude, he seems as down to earth and eccentrically strange, or eccentric and strange, or it's a, that's the same thing. Um, he just seems like a likable guy. I would say out of all the Batmans, I feel like Michael Keaton's depiction from Bruce Wayne to Batman is the biggest 180. I always just almost say Patrick Bateman, but Christian Bale. Christian Bale. Um, no, I agree with you. I, I get what <laughs> I, you're saying, yeah. I think it is the biggest leap from... Ki- yeah. Like, I would almost say like a sensitive character, you know, yeah. like or someone who's got a little bit of soul. Like I feel like, um, yeah, he's, the, he's got a, he's got I more. I feel heart. like the Christian Bale portrayal is like a very cold, broody, 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 and even, you know, Batman's yeah. broody. Yeah, and I feel like the other depictions that we've seen of Batman have just been just so one-dimensional or throwaway or just um that batman really like the the val kilmer batman and the george clooney batman specifically um i honestly don't remember the ben affleck batman no offense i just don't remember it i didn't see it um it just seemed not really those movies really weren't about batman it was about the whole the whole production of making making this movie about Batman or the it was just about extenuating the franchise not necessarily the character of Bruce Wayne and Batman and I, I honestly feel yeah Michael Keaton did did the best job at that yeah and I mean and, and like again I'm, I, I don't have a reference to the comics and maybe it was a bold choice for him to go lighter with the Bruce Wayne character sure but I, I enjoy it, you know, and I, and I and I feel like in Batman Returns, Michael Keaton brings it. He's a little darker in mm-hmm. his Bruce Wayne persona than he is in his. They they sort of like meet in the middle, um, mm-hmm. and I think you get a little more into the darker side of his Bruce Wayne character in his past. Yeah, into it. I think Bruce Wayne, honestly, in, in this movie, is kind of a weirdo. I like him because he's kind of a weirdo. Yeah. On the uh, flip side of that, mm-hmm. we know we talked about a little bit, but Jack Nicholson. Uh, so Michael <laughs> yeah. Keaton was not the first pick for Batman, and Jack Nicholson was certainly not the first pick for the Joker. He was very loved by one of the producers on the film who really was pushing for Jack Nicholson. Mm-hmm. And I want to say Jack Nicholson didn't even want to do the movie. And you have a little information on this, right? Yeah, he he was he was wanted for for the role. But the person that was vying for the role, like pretty hardcore, was Robin Williams, and Robin Robin Williams like super duper wanted the role and like was going full force for it, and I feel like it wasn't um, necessarily like set in stone um, that he was going to get it, but he was the person that was going for it, and that it was kind of an all verbal deal. That they were thinking, yeah, maybe Robin Williams is going to get this. And then at the last second, Jack Nicholson is like, okay, guys, um, I'll totally do it for you. But I want a boatload of money. And I also want a portion of box office, whatever this movie brings in. So I, I don't remember the exact figures, but he brought in, I think what he made, like being paid as an actor, he made more money from what was brought in from the movie than he did actually for acting in, in I, the film. I know at one time, and I don't know if it's still the case, someone might have yeah, topped him, but I do remember it, it for a long time at least, and maybe it's still the case that Jack Nicholson was in the Guinness Book of World Records for he was. the most yes. paid for one movie. And I want to say it was like, Topped out at like fifty or sixty million was, that he got paid at the end. At the end of I think it was sixty at, million. At the end of everything. At the end yeah. of everything with like cuts <laughs> of like insane. proceeds. You know, so good good move on him. You know, yeah. I mean, for someone who was in their what fifties when he did the Joker. You know, you're oh looking God, at some, was he good, looking at some retirement money. No, I I don't know. Jack Nicholson's 
He's got it going on in this movie. I think he did a great job because he he played Jack Napier very small amount of time on screen, but gave him a lot of depth. You know, you really get the sense that this guy is a cool, collected, confident gangster, has a lot of power before Mm -hmm. he becomes the Joker. And I think you need that. You know, I like that they gave us the precursors to the Joker, that the movie just didn't open on this zany, crazy Joker character that we see a transition. Yeah. And, And I do understand that this is, you know, you need to do that transition quickly. And I thought that they did the best that you could possibly do with transitioning characters in like such a short span of time to like within the universe of this movie. And I thought it was like really natural and really well, you know what I mean? He he pops out on the other end of this crazy accident as the Joker. Yeah. We, we set the Joker up as we know that he's a prominent figure and you know, the seedy underbelly of the crime world of Gotham city. And, um, Basically, that's what we know. And then his boss sets him up to get get caught in this situation um, with the police, yeah. which is the incident that leads Batman to accidentally yeah. shoving him or letting him drop into a you know when pit I, of toxic waste or whatever it is. When I think that to... Um, and Thus this turning is, him into the Joker. Yeah. And I think too, this is like, it's such a subtle scene, but I think it really says a lot about his character before he became the Joker when he's sleeping with his boss's uh, <laughs> uh, wife yeah. and they're together alone. And she says something like, well, you look really good or whatever. And then he's like, I didn't ask, yeah. you know, and it's just to me, it's such a very, smug. it's just such a very, very like, you know, he knows he's, he's got, he he's was already an yeah, a-hole. He, yeah. He are, he, he was already like a smooth and kind of like cold and calculating person Um, but him losing that vanity, that was the only thing that really weirdly, the only humane thing about him was his vanity, which is like really messed up. And so you take that away and he's just this like psychopath. Yeah. (laughs) You know, cause he's like, no one, you know, people are just going to look at me like I'm a total crazy now because I look crazy. So Mm -hmm. what, what else do I have to cling to that? Like where I'm trying to stay amongst, you know, normal society. And he does kind of return to that vanity a few times when he, ha- because the toxic waste or whatever that he falls into makes him, c- makes his skin white. Yeah. And so he, um, in order to fit in in certain situations, like puts makeup on his face that's like regular, like his, his regular skin tone. Um, so it kind of, kind of does return to that little vanity for a second. And actually, those are the parts I remember as a kid when he inevitably gets splashed with water or something in his face that makes that, that makes that like Caucasian uh, yeah. makeup stream down his face. He looked the creepiest to me yeah. like that, actually. And it wasn't that, that his face was, you know, ashen white. It was just right. like... Yeah, and that was something I think that I never really, when I was little, I was like, wait, what's happening? You know, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. You know, um, no, he's, he's totally creepy. I mean, as a kid, his maniacal laughter was kind of infectious, and he was f- a, a, a funny character. But as an adult watching him, you're like, that guy is freaking crazy yeah. out of his GD mind. <laughs> well, let's. Um, like this scene that we're watching right now. Right. Sorry. The the parade scene. Parade scene where he's he's called all of Gotham City out and he's like, I'm going to drop millions of dollars on the city. Come on out here, guys. I'm going to drop millions of dollars. And what's he actually going to do? He's dropping dollars, but he's also going to gas the entire city yep. and kill them. Maniac. He's like, where's your... uh?" My favorite line in this whole movie is like, yeah. and where's your Batman? He's at home washing his tights. I don't know why. It's just so, so silly. There are many, many lines that the Joker has in this movie that are pretty dang funny. Um, well, let's, uh, we got to wrap it up here on Batman talk. We should move on to our picks of the week. Um, I went for comic book movie, the first film incarnation of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which came out in 1990. And uh, that's a movie, too, that I feel like 
there was there's been that's been rebooted recently too um and this to me the original in my mind in my heart is still like what I consider to be the ultimate Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie and I was not familiar with the turtle comics I grew up on the cartoon so when I went into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I was actually like really into the cartoon I think they based most of the movie on the cartoon but I'll get into that uh in my pick of the week yours was Wolf which was one that I hadn't seen um do you want to kick this off with your tell us a little bit about yeah I definitely can I was all saddled up to hear about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I was just getting you primed. I didn't (laughs) want to like. No, I'll be more than happy to talk about Wolf. I guess we need a little superhero break. Yeah, let's take a little break from superheroes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you know, and take a break from me yapping. I just want, you know. (laughs) You want another voice in this podcast, Justin? Now for the the voice of Lindsay Reaver. (laughs) Um, Your your regular voice. (laughs) My regular voice. Um, which actually sounds like that. If you've like thrown your voice this whole time as like yeah. a podcaster. Yeah, I have. We get off mic and like, so anyway, I got to get back to my house. <laughs> it's getting pretty late. We're going to end this soon. It's 832, Justin. Um, <clears throat> All right, let me tell you about Wolf. So tell me a little bit about Wolf. So the Joker himself, Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer, um, also, who is in uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns and James Spader, star in this not too well remembered werewolf movie from 1994, aptly titled Wolf. Directed by a favorite of mine, um, R.I.P. Mike Nichols, this movie has kind of sunken away into the annals of 90s horror light romantic thrillers. Um, certainly a cross genre that's not well explored, in my opinion, anyway. You'd expect a full-on horror movie when talking about werewolves, but this one's kind of a little different. It's intelligent and engrossing while involving the usual full moon, heightened senses, and strength uh, after being bitten and predatory behavior aspects that typically follow uh, the werewolf genre. However, what's especially unique about this one is its overall plot. Nicholson plays an unassuming senior editor at a publishing house, uh, nowhere near the overbearing character we might assume that the actor would play. Now, playing it down for this role probably adds to the dramatics of when he actually does, to use a Joss Whedon term, wolf out. He gets attacked in the first scene of the film, so we're set up from the get-go. After being fired from his job early on in the film, Finding out the guy who's replacing him, which is James Spader, is also sleeping with his wife. This would be a lot for anyone to take in, let alone know, knowing that you're slowly turning into a wolf. That's, that's kind of a lot. I mean, I've been dealing with a lot this week, but that's, that's more than I've been dealing with. This movie as a whole is a metaphor for being chewed up and spit out in the corporate world. Human and relationship morals and kind of more obviously animal instincts. The special effects of Wolf are on the lighter side, which I think is a cool choice and kind of appropriate for a movie that's not trying to be a straight-up horror movie. (laughs) I kind of have to say that Nicholson is pretty dang handsome uh, when he's all wolfed out. And when he is in beast mode, he's kind of a furry hybrid, more human than wolf. He kind of ages backwards when he's a wolf, in my uh, humble opinion I'm not trying to sexualize jack nicholson here but he you know he's kind of handsome i think more of the budget of the movie went to the two main actors and that said michelle pfeiffer does play a hefty supporting supporting role but is nevertheless stellar and even kind of moving in in some scenes she kind of portrays this smart yet defiant woman who falls for nicholson pre and post wolf and upon rewatching this her role harkens back to Gina Davis in The Fly, but it's not derivative, but it's very similar. I hadn't thought of that until uh, this last viewing. Now, while I kind of personally like the pace of this movie, if you're lo- looking for a straight up action or horror movie, this movie is not for you. It's a romantic thriller of a film, uh, but there's a hell of a lot of tension and Nicholson is writing so many ways in which he's been wronged. Um, But then the movie does take a turn into a frighteningly unexpected third act. 
Now, Wolf isn't about the body count. It's not sensational. It's more about this guy having a somewhat depressing realization that he's about to not be human anymore. In some ways, the movie reminds me of original, like the original monster movies of the 1930s. There's a certain sadness that comes along with becoming a werewolf. Uh, and I think that's a theme that's not really explored in contemporary werewolf movies. I do have one caution, though. If you can't handle animal violence, I always shut my eyes and cover my ears when a deer serves as Nicholson's first kill. So if you're a sensitive baby like me when it comes to that, you've been warned. So Wolf may not satisfy a bloodthirsty horror fan, but if you're looking for a good story to sink your teeth into, sorry, I couldn't help but say that. Um, watching Nicholson, Pfeiffer, and Spader propel this movie forward has always called me back many, many times over the years to my taped VHS copy of this version, and always at the end of the movie leaves me with a with a good old smirk. So this is one, like I said, I haven't seen it yet, but uh, if you're wanting to check this out as well, where can you find this? I, I believe the only place, it's not on Netflix currently, um, I think, but you can find, like, you can rent it as an Amazon rental or yeah, online you rental. can rent it on Amazon, Google Play, uh, Vudu, YouTube, um, the usual suspects. But yeah, it's not not available yeah. on um, uh, Netflix uh, or Hulu right now, from what from what I can yeah. figure out, or some shadier service if you yeah. if you really want to go that or, route. Yeah, I even like when I was like I said, because some sometimes I've been able to find some of the movies you do i've i've been finding them on vhs at goodwills but Mm -hmm. i've not stumbled across wolf wolf yeah well my pick this week again is teenage mutant ninja turtles i want to revisit this so bad come on yeah this is one that uh so this movie came out in 1990 i do believe that the success of batman was like allowed movies like this one to come out um interesting the most interesting thing about teenage mutant ninja turtles to me is one, it was a completely independently financed film. So this movie was distributed by a studio, but was completely made independently. So at the time of its release and its success, at the time when it came out, it was the most, uh, it was the highest grossing independent film of all time. So this was a completely independently made feature, but it had a pretty big budget. I mean, Way smaller than Batman. This movie only had a $13 million budget. The other interesting fact about it is it was the last film that Jim Henson worked on before he passed away. He created the the bodysuits that actors wore to portray the turtles, and he said it was the most sophisticated puppetry outfits he had ever worked on. He passed away two months after the movie made its debut in theaters, so he did get to see how successful, you know, he did get to end on a bang, like to see his creation became like a highly successful, uh, well-regarded creatures. Um, but the movie itself, uh, based off the comics, partially based off a cartoon, uh, we've got four teenage, teenage turtles that were mutated from small turtles, uh, by this, uh, ooze in a New York sewer. They were trained as ninjas by Splinter, their, uh, rat sensei. He is also was mutated as a small rat, this movie, uh, again, it being an independent film, it, it's a rough looking movie. It's not, it's not the, mo- it's kind of the opposite of Batman. Um, especially when they're talking about the transformation scene, the story of how the turtles came to be, it looks like something that you would see in like a, a short Sesame street film from the seventies. It's about as low budget as it can possibly look, but the fight coordinated sequences and the actual turtle outfits, you know, they're talking and they're actually, you can see their mouths moving. Um, they're pretty convincing. I mean, they look absolutely ridiculous, but they're Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So it's, it's a bunch of six foot turtles fighting people, um, which is most of the movie. There are a few characters involved here. Uh, Casey Jones, um, April O'Neil, who's a reporter, who's, who's a, and the whole movie takes place. It's very New York centric, takes place in New York. This is another movie where they pair off. You know, we have this villain shredder who is starting a teenage, band of misfits like he's recruiting all these teenagers in new york city to uh help steal things and and basically create a bunch of crime and uh in this crime heat wave uh the turtles start uh, coming in and and cleaning up new york city and then eventually go head to head with the shredder again it's another movie that's thin on plot but it's a fun uh filled movie 
not a lot of names. This was a movie again because I think most of the money were put into the the turtle costumes. But there is a very early role by uh, Sam Rockwell, one of his first roles. He was one of the head thugs in the movie, and uh, Donatello, the purple bandana turtle, is uh, his voice is portrayed by Corey Feldman, and very very distinctly, recognizably so. At the time this movie came out, I remember it being regarded as very violent for kids. It's rated PG, and I remember a lot of parents were like up in arms. Though when you watch this movie now, it's so tame compared to anything that you would see on just regular television now. So I think this is, as of any movie that I've ever talked about on this podcast, this is about as kid-friendly as it'll probably ever get for a movie that I do for a pick of the week or, or like a regular feature Unless we do like the Wizard of Oz or something, which I don't see happening. So yeah, I I think this is a fun movie. It, it, the the other sequels, I, I got to say, they're to me they're nearly unwatchable. I've seen the first reincarnation of the Turtles, which I was not into. Um, but to me, uh, this first one it has a lot of heart. It has it it stretches its limitations of its budget. But um, if you're into sort of the fun martial arts goofballness that could only happen in a early 90s action comic book movie then i think you'll be uh, happy to watch uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles this is another one that you can rent on most of your online sources it was on netflix for a while but it's not currently on netflix but really to be honest if you if you if you're down with the vhs you can walk into most any goodwill store and get it for a quarter I, i've yet to see one goodwill that doesn't doesn't have it on vhs and uh, that's how i remember the movie with the uh, pizza commercial before the uh, movie started i definitely remember those ads it's been since the height of this movie since i've seen it and you kind of retelling it brought it all back and so i was doing research while you're talking and I have to say that just from my limited research right now, it is a crowd favorite. Like people, people love this movie. The fact that this was Jim Henson's um, last movie before he passed away. I mean, think what you want of, you know, human sized turtles, whatever. Like those costumes are awesome. I've always thought that. I mean, he was he was a master at, at puppetry anyway, but those costumes are incredible. Yeah, and it's and it's it's definitely a movie where like a, as a kid, you know, yeah. each one of these turtles has their signature weapon. Yeah, and they're they know martial arts and yeah, you know who they are. They've got just, different the, colored there's, eye masks. There's Come just a, there's a lot of there's a lot of fun to be had. Um, you know, and definitely like it's it's one where yeah, when you watch it now, it's it's totally ridiculous. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this is by no means a great film, but like. If you haven't seen it since you're a kid, it's it's worth popping in and checking out. And and if you have kids, I think they'll probably love it. Do you do you own this by any chance? I do. I'll loan it to you. Oh man. Okay. Yeah. I just forgot mine to bring over to you. No, it's fine. But... It's you forgot them last podcast too. But one of these days, I'll get to check out these oh, these movies. That oh man. I'm gonna. Um. I'll just borrow it from you later, like when I'm settled, and then I can give you everything that I owe you. I still need to give you back Pacific Heights, which is now packed away with all my I DVDs. forgot that you even had it. I so do. Long. That's all right. Sorry. That's okay. I can't wait to rewatch this movie, and I love that it's been almost 20 years, basically, since I've seen it, and it, it was fun to revisit that. Thank you, Justin. Well, thanks for uh, bringing Wolf back into... To my life. It was one that I remember coming out by and seeing, so I'll have to track that down and check it out. Well, uh, those are our picks of the week. Um, again, most of those you can find on any of your online rental uh, sources. Um, and then, uh, yeah, without further ado, here's your Murray moment. Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear. When I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so structured. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking.
Since we've been talking about Batman, you might think that this Murray moment would be about how Billy was once considered for the role um, that Michael Keaton landed. It's true, back before Tim Burton signed on, Ivan Reitman had been considered to direct um, Batman, and he wanted Billy Murray to be the lead role. But from what I can find, there's really not much to that story other than it happened and went nowhere. So, let's turn to another unknown fun fact involving Billy and bats. Baseball bats, that is. (laughs) I know, you didn't see that coming. (laughs) But, okay. We're going we're going to dial it back a little maybe off the Chicago Cubs. Maybe you think I'm going there. I'm not. I have no idea where you're going right now. Okay. But I'm along for the ride. Back in 1978, when Billy was just gaining popularity by joining the cast of Saturday Night Live, before he had even landed his first lead role in a film, our Billy briefly joined a minor league baseball team out of Washington State. And they were called the Grays Harbor Loggers. This may sound like a tall tale, but I assure you that William Murray did indeed join the team. He was number 17. As it turns out, Billy was pals with the team's owner and had intended to hang out uh, with the loggers for that summer. Billy was quoted a few times saying that he all he wanted to do after completing his first full Uh, season of Saturday Night Live was just to play baseball and golf. That's all he wanted to do. Now, he was primarily a coach and a pinch hitter. Billy was on the roster and played ball in two games, from what I can find. Billy's first at bat, he slammed a base hit into left field. He was pretty proud of that one, and he actually went up to the pitcher after the game and said, that meant the world to me. Billy hung out with the team for quite a few weeks, mostly just doing base coaching. But during this time, he started noticing that no one was drinking beer at the games. And if you've ever gone to a baseball game, not drinking beer is a noticeable omission, for sure. Um, and now, after learning that the city council of Hoquiam, where the loggers played, had made it illegal to sell alcohol at baseball games, well... Billy went out and bought a keg, some plastic cups, and began selling it to the fans in the crowd. He's just a real problem solver, you know? Well, Billy was promptly arrested by police and only briefly detained after one of the loggers' owners um, convinced police that they'd get a ton of bad press um, on both a local and national level um, if they went through with that arrest. Now, bailed out, and with the team's best interest in mind, Billy would go on to pinch hit during one final game. Unfortunately, he wasn't as lucky the the second time out, striking out on the three pitches he was served. Three sinkers, Billy said, which are hard for anyone to hit. SNL creator Lauren Michaels did capitalize on this summer adventure of Billy's by making a segment for the following season of SNL called Things We Did Last Summer, a short film that included everyone from the SNL cast and what they'd gotten up to that summer. It's a pretty fun short film um, if you're able to track it down. Now, Billy concluded his summer by flying to Canada to meet up with Ivan Reitman and the cast of Meatballs, the film that would be his first lead role in a major film. Technically, Billy hadn't confirmed with Reitman that he was indeed doing the film until the day before shooting. After this time with the loggers, Billy hit the ground running with Meatballs, which turned out to be a really big hit when it was released in 1979. During filming, Reitman liked to remind Billy that he felt like this movie was going to be a really big hit of the summer, to which Billy would respond, I just wanted to play baseball. Billy had a long history with bats of the baseball variety. It's not only just uh, with the Chicago Cubs, like I said. I hope this uh, little story of Billy's time with the loggers got you to uh, understand a little bit deeper of a meaning of uh, this man's love for baseball. I don't know if I'm sure about this 100%, but I feel 90% sure of it that Bill Murray recently has like a Facebook series about minor league baseball 
where they like follow teams. I think him and his brother. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. His brother. He and his him brother. Him and his brother like follow minor league teams. Is that yes? Something I, I I like saw like a thing about it, but I haven't investigated it is, too yes, far. Yes, it is totally a thing. He also. Oh man, I forget the team. He's all he. He also has like a certain. Um, he has fingers in some minor league baseball teams. Yeah. So he's definitely you know plugged and he, in. And he in definitely that did. Uh, he definitely did commentary for a while, didn't he? With Harry Carey, like games. <laughs> yeah. But he filled he, in too, didn't he? Yeah. He uh, yeah, he's like he's filled in before for Cubs games. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's. He's definitely no, baseball has been part of his. Yeah. He's no stranger to it. Yeah. Well, thank you for that Murray moment. Of course. Wrap it up here. Um, I want to say a big thanks to our friend Wade Durbin because I really thank was you, a little I was a little worried going into this one, like we didn't have a lot of insight on outsider perspective or like comic book lover mm-hmm. perspective. And uh I thought that it was really thoughtful of him to send a nice long message, like kind of like making a case for the Batman comic book fans. And uh, also give us a nice dichotomy to like what we were discussing here on the yeah. episode. So thank you again, Wade, for your comment. We needed that. Yeah, we def- it definitely helped out a lot. Do you uh, do you have any final thoughts on Batman before we totally close it out? Um, I guess the only thing we didn't really get to mention was the music, which mm. was a. I think to me, I mean, music is always like something that in movies that I gravitate towards. And I thought this is one of the few movies, and I know some people had a problem with it, but to me, one of the few movies that mixed perfectly a original score uh, by Danny Elfman, by Danny Elfman, which is excellent, and then original music by Prince. And mm-hmm. uh, at the time, both were released albums, um, yeah, which both I owned and like listened yeah. to nonstop and. As goofy as that song seems now, like, I mean, I had the cassette single, what, Bad, the Bad Dance. Dance? Yeah, yeah, it's so silly. <laughs> but a lot of that, that original soundtrack's really great. I'm into it, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, I think that it was uh, the 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 Prince music was supposed to be like the Joker's music and then Danny Elfman's music was supposed to be Batman's music. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a great idea to like go into that and mixing pop music with orchestrated score um, I think that's a hard thing to do, and I think it's one of the few movies that like did it well. Yeah, I would completely agree. Um, I would also say it goes in kind of with my final thought in that Batman, when it came out, it was kind of the first um, of its kind to have all of this hype and all of this marketing before it um, actually like came out. So we had, you know, whether it was two two albums, like a original score of the film or, or a Prince album or cereal boxes or figurines or soda cans or uh, fast food, you yeah, know, I think food that that's Batman coming out. Batman symbol was on everything. Yeah, Batman symbol was on everything. Of. And I was telling you, too, that, like, I I had forgotten about this, but I in in my recent moving uh going through like my entire life i came across this photo of myself with this airbrushed um black and white cowboy hat that had this um black bandana around the brim of it which was a batman like thing and it was i don't i have no idea where i got that but i totally remember having it after seeing the photo and was like holy crap yep I bought into that too. And I know that that was not the only, I remember having a tiny Batmobile that I'm not sure if that was like a McDonald's thing or something, but I remember having a tiny Batmobile. I definitely remember eating the Batman cereal for sure. Yeah. All of those things. And I, and, and it's, um, it's amazing too, that that whole marketing campaign that happened before Batman was ever released. If, if, if my research is correct, um, the money that came from that marketing campaign actually was more than what the movie grossed, which is was a sickeningly amount of millions of dollars. Um, but actually, that marketing campaign was more than what the movie grossed, which is crazy. Anyway, I, I feel like that marketing campaign is kind of what has set the 
tone for what superhero movies do yeah. nowadays for sure. Oh, um, I have one more tidbit just yeah, to throw in. Throw just in. a little. All right. Well, it's quick. Just throwing dice in the alley here. Um, just a quick shout out to uh, Marion Doherty, who I mentioned back in the Lost Boys uh, podcast. That was episode two. Marion Doherty did the casting for this film. Man, it's crazy. I love talking about this woman no, because it's, like it's she's awesome. her name is plastered on so many movies and um obviously the woman had an eye. Yeah, so. and I I'll tell you when I was I thought of you when I was watching <laughs> Batman because her name popped up and I was like Marion Doherty. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like Lindsay mentioned her in yeah. our Lost Boys episode. Woman so, had an eye. Yeah. So Thanks, Marion Doherty, for yet again casting, su- supremely casting what turned out to be a great movie. So if you've been following us for a while or you're just starting, thank you for your continued uh, support and listening, your comments, your downloads. As always, you can find us at don'tpushpausepodcast.com. You can find us on Instagram where we're most active, Don't Push Pause Podcast. Facebook, Don't Push Pause Podcast. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, it always helps and feel free to leave us a review or, uh, give us uh, five stars. If you feel so inclined, um, that always helps a lot. It helps shows that, uh, we've got listeners and we've got support and uh, we can continue to uh, move forward and, and reach a broader audience. So, uh, we don't, we don't uh, we don't have an announcement for our next film, so that's going to be a surprise. Ooh, that's right, time. we don't. It's, it's been a few, it's been a while since we've had the surprise, but uh, that will be announced soon. So look for it on our Instagram. Yeah. what our next film will be. I just got really stoked because yeah, I'm like, yeah. yeah, we don't. Yeah, we got to figure it out. So until next time, I'm Justin Johnson, and I'm Lindsay Reber. Thanks for listening. Thank you.